Hello and welcome to episode 21 of Hallowed Ground, the Sports Museum podcast. I'm your host, Andrew Stockman. We'll be going north of the border for today's episode. Today on the show, we have Shane Mailman, Director of Programs and Operations at the Nova Scotia Sport Hall of Fame in Nova Scotia, Canada. Additionally, Shane is also Executive Administrator of the International Sports Heritage Association, so we also get into that aspect of his career as well. Definitely a fun conversation. For my overtime segment this week, I'll be exploring the career of Sidney Crosby, arguably the best hockey player of my lifetime and a Nova Scotia native. Be sure to stay tuned after our interview for some fun facts about Sid the Kid. If you enjoyed today's episode, check out Hallowed Ground's archive for more conversations with sport museum professionals. Now, here's my conversation with Shane. Today on the show, I'm talking with Shane Mailman, Director of Programs and Operations at the Nova Scotia Sport Hall of Fame in Nova Scotia, Canada. Shane, how are you? Not too bad. How are you, Andrew? Doing well. Thanks for being here. I really appreciate you taking the time to be a guest. And I figured we could start off talking about your background and how you got into kind of the museum world and um, your background in Nova Scotia as well. Yeah, so I'm a life, lifer in Nova Scotia, Canada, here on the East Coast, um, small province of right now, just over a million. We just passed that about a month ago for a million people. And uh, I guess my journey to being involved in the sport museum industry is, I guess, sort of interesting. I don't know if it's interesting to anyone but, but me, but you know, I took business at university. I was a marketing and management major. And during university, I worked at the Sport Hall of Fame's fundraising bingo just for money to, to just to pay whatever bills I had, which were very few, but then also just to have some fun. So uh, coming out of graduating for, from that, I, uh, they offered me a full-time job, just helping out with the, the bingo, which is a big fundraiser for us. I was only 23 back then and helping out with some of their other fundraising initiatives. And 25 years later, I'm still, I'm still there. And it's, it's a, it's a kind of my, it was my first full-time job and my last full-time job kind of. So yeah, maybe I'll I'll be there until I'm 60 years long as they'll have me, I guess. That's awesome. Yeah, it's kind of cool to figure out like different people's entry points. And that's a cool part of the podcast. And I always start out with that question is like, what's your kind of story as a person getting into the industry? And I think that's interesting. It's really cool that you've stayed at the same place for 25 years. I think that's that's really neat. So what are some of the biggest changes that you've seen both in the industry, but also at the Nova Scotia Sport Hall of Fame over those years? Well, now... As of right now, we'll be moving. It'll be my third kind of location since we've been there. The industry itself is, at least with the Nova Scotia Sport Hall of Fame, it doesn't change that much, I guess, in, in regards to, you know, you know, technology and our interactives and, you know, the ability to, you know, do programming, even the way we're, you know, through Zoom and, you know, reach more, reach more people at different ways. I guess those are kind of some of the things that have changed, but at the same time, you know, we're, we're still dealing with, you know, artifacts and old things, as I'd say that, uh, that's never, that's never going to change, but even, even, uh, for us, you know, the rise of having more women as inductees as, as the sport is, has, has evolved and the opportunities and yeah, I guess those are just a few things that I can think about that, that have changed since I've been there. It's been a long time, but you know, we're a not-for-profit organization and even our ability, you know, how we raise money and, and things like that has it's evolved over over time, how you run events and, and those kind of things. So, okay. Yeah. It's neat to figure out like how stuff changes, but also stays the same. Like it's also artifacts that have probably been there for as long as you've been there, but then stuff way beyond that and 
just the impact that sports have on people that doesn't really change over time is what I've noticed during my own years of sports fandom. It's like you enjoy a lot of the similar teams and similar athletes. And I think sports impact on people is just so massive, both in the United States and Canada. And what is that like from your position, getting to work with kids and adults and figure out like, why do you love sports or like what brings you to the Nova Scotia sport hall of fame. So what, what are some of those impacts that your museum has on people? From an organizational perspective, youth are, is a big part of what we do. And even from a personal perspective, I've uh, youth are, are important to me. And, and uh, I've done a lot of volunteer work with, with coaching and administration through local sports and whatnot. But uh, my favorite part being at the hall is, is our future hall of famers education program. And it's just the ability to use our sport heroes and their stories to inspire the next generation, kind of using the past to inspire the future, we say. So we have uh, not so much during COVID, obviously, but we bring uh, some of our inductees or our sport heroes or our future Hall of Famers, we call them, into the, into the schools to talk to kids. And it's just when you, when you see their, you know, their eyes light up just to hear these stories and to know that, you know, I know that, you know, they look up to the, the LeBron James of the world or the Kobe Bryant's or, you know, the Mike Trout's or anyone, or the, you know, I see your, your flag in the back there, your Kansas city Royals for me, it was, you know, Bo Jackson was a big, someone that I looked up to, but just to know that they have people that could have been their, their neighbors lived in their backyards, in their communities, in their, yeah. you know, in their province that, that have accomplished these amazing things. is kind of like, if they can do it, you can do it too. And it doesn't necessarily have to be in sport. It can be in, art or your career if you want to be a doctor lawyer any you know you can do anything because they've done it before so yeah that's kind of like that's the kind of my favorite part but even when you know relatives of some of our hall of fames come in and they get to you know search up their their grandfathers and see see what they've done and and how you know touched they are by it that we're you know we're taking the time to promote that for them it's just yeah that's that's the best that's the best part of my of my job for sure yeah i love those familial connections that sports brings out with people like me and my dad going to Royals games growing up. And that's how I love baseball so much is from that time with him and just seeing people's grandparents get involved. And I think that's a really special part of how museums can like preserve the history of their sport or their area, but also kind of make it a more tangible piece of connecting with family members and with your hometown and stuff like that. I think that's um, a big kind of unique aspect of the industry because sports is so personal to people too. And I, I think that's a big, big deal for sure. One of those people from Nova Scotia is Sidney Crosby. So would you say he is the biggest kind of sports star out of Nova Scotia? I would say um, Al McGinnis would be another one that's retired now. He's the only uh, Nova Scotian inducted into the Hockey Hall of Fame and uh, you know, okay. one of the greatest defensemen of all times. But um, I mean, Sydney's he's been kind of the face of the NHL for the last, you know, over a decade now. And yeah, he would be, he's not in our hall yet because you have to be retired first, but I mean, we have the Sidney Crosby's the, the Brad Marchand from, from the Bruins and, and uh, Nathan McKinnon from the Colorado Avalanche is one of the, one of the bigger players now, but yeah, for sure. Sid's Sid's definitely probably the biggest and the most popular athlete in our province. He's, we did a top 15 athletes of all time event uh, a couple of years ago before COVID and uh, he was, he was voted the number one. Yes. That's cool. I was going to have you tell a story too about him and he brought the Stanley cup to the hall of fame. It sounds like a while ago when the penguins won their first cup with him on the roster. And can you kind of tell that story for our listeners? I thought that was really neat. 
Yeah, for sure. So in 2008, the World Hockey Championships came to Nova Scotia, and we're right at, we're attached to the arena, the Scotia Bank Center, and that's where it was taking place. And as part of that, we uh, worked with the Crosby family to put together the, the Crosby exhibit with the thought that it would be there for maybe six months, you know, during the event, and then so much months, so many months after. But it ended up being so popular, and the family was receptive for us keeping it. It was still like there up until the, we we had to close down during COVID. So. In 2009, when they won the Stanley Cup, there was a massive parade in his hometown of Cole Harbor, which is just right out, just across the bridge from, from Halifax. And everyone, uh, the streets were packed. It was like, it was, it was amazing. So the next morning, though, he did the kind of like a private reception with friends and family at, the, at our Hall of Fame. First thing in the morning that no one would know that he was coming and whatnot. And uh, he brought the Stanley Cup. So the neat thing is that a part of the exhibit is they 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 loaned us the uh, the famous dryer, the one that was on Jay Leno, that uh, everyone thinks he used to shoot pucks at the dryer, but it was actually the net was next to the dryer, and those were the shots that missed. So we use that a lot in our education pro, educational programming mm-hmm. to say that you know at one point in time, both Sidney Crosby wasn't that good; he missed a lot of shots, as you can see that the dryers beat to beat to crap. So. Uh, he came that day with the Stanley cup and I just, I, it's, a, it's an image that's kind of lodged in my brain forever. They sat the Stanley cup on top of the dryer and took a picture of it. And it was like, it was really uh, a moment where you can see when he was a you know three-year-old kid missing the net, banging up his parents dryer to the time he wins the Stanley cup and is arguably the best player in the world at that point, point in time. So it was, uh, yeah, it was, it was one of my highlights of my, uh, career at the hall of fame just to just to see that and to understand it and what that would mean to even a a, a young young person in nova scotia or education program and seeing that picture and see just the sense of possibility it created i guess is what i'm looking for and yeah it was it was it was really cool that's so special to have that impact especially because he was from that community and from nova scotia too what is nova scotia known for generally i know it's way out in the eastern part of canada and you being from there what's a little bit of background on it more generally for our listeners who maybe aren't familiar yeah so we're obviously on the east coast lots of beaches everyone's i guess is it's the canadian way is that we're, we're super nice super nice people very uh, a lot of lot of sports a lot of university sports been it was a big thing for for a long time obviously hockey's large soccer's probably our biggest participation sport as far as children go and uh, it's been growing exponentially for for years now and okay i mean obviously the, the crosbys of the world have given us kind of put us on the map for anyone that's you know loves hockey yeah i guess that's that's pretty much it. it's a nice, great place to live nice people great scenery the winter's not great right now like I call it, we uh, our winters in Nova Scotia now are more of a of slush than anything else. So it snows, it rains, and freezes and melts, and but uh, lots of golf courses too, which is is great. And some of them being on the by being on the oceans, they're amazing. So uh, anyone that wants a good place to visit between the between the months of uh, June and October, come here. <laughs> okay. I've never made it up to Canada. My dad has been a couple of times to Toronto, I think for business trips back in the day, but I need to go up there and it sounds beautiful and looks beautiful in pictures. And um, I think just kind of being up in a different culture, I think is important to do when you can and if you have the means to. So if I ever come up to Canada, I'll try and make it out to uh, Nova Scotia. Yeah, for sure. We'll, we'll go. Out. We'll go out for sure. Yeah. I noticed um, on y'all's website, it looks like the entire museum collection is in 
a database and it's searchable and there's a lot of really neat aspects of that. So what is the impact of having that collection digitized and making it available to people online? Yeah, so we have a great relationship with our provincial museum association. They call they're called the Ansem. It's Association of Nova Scotia Museums, and they came up with this platform quite a few years ago as they evolved through creating opportunities to create to create artifact databases in in the museum community. So, we probably be the only sport museum that uses it. After we moved from uh, there was a location very near where we ended up for the last decade, and uh, all our stuff was in storage. So you can imagine moving a museum. It's uh, it's it's not as easy as as people would think. So everything was was kind of a mess. So we embarked on this this big uh, project to digitize everything, right? So we had track of everything. And so you know, essentially, if you want to search one of our artifacts, you can do it from anywhere in the world, right? So it's been a great thing for us to have, and and it took a long time. It's a lot of resources. Collection management is not my background, but I've been forced into learning a lot, of, a lot about it. And it's uh, give your archivists and collection managers a hug every day because it's hard work. <laughs> yeah. I didn't even really think about that because that's the more like public facing database and the um, guests and people that are interested can search it. But I'm sure it helps the actual archivists and collections folks to keep track of everything in a digital format, but have it all structured and laid out very systematically. So I think yeah, it's definitely a good resource for everyone involved, both staff and and guests, because the, the searchability and that digitization is really neat for one thing, but it also helps from a like a process perspective too, it sounds like too. Yeah, even from a preservation standpoint, you know, you take a picture, you take good pictures of things, you can see if you know how they're how they're doing from from year to year too. Yeah. So uh yeah it's uh it's really important. Yeah. Another piece of technology that I really like that you'll have was a uh, mobile app that was developed. So what was the process of kind of working with a app company to develop that and what are some of the things people can look for on that app? One of the things we were looking at, like long before it even COVID, it was just a way that when people come into the to the facility, it can be a interactive experience without having to spend. Like we're a small organization, you know, five employees before COVID, four now, and uh, we're not for profit. We have to raise all our own money. So how can we make it interactive to take use and make use of current technology to do that without having to spend a ton of money? So the the idea was, you know, everyone comes comes with their smart smartphones and. Even as early as you know, elementary school kids are carrying their phones around. As long as you can find a Wi-Fi connection, you can do it. So uh, we started looking at that for years, and then COVID hit, and you know, no one wanted to touch anything. Touch screens were you know were shut down. People put tape on them, and uh, so two things we looked at that for COVID, and then we we had to shut our location down, which we can talk a little bit about as we go along, but as a way to stay relevant and kind of have some interactivity across the province. We, we work with a company called think proxy out of uh, Florida and without going into too technical, technical, and it's not, I'm not the technical person on this, but they have these little things. They look like little green eggs and they're Bluetooth enabled. And you and essentially you can stick them anywhere you want. And as long as you have our, uh, our app and you, and you open it, if you're in the vicinity of one of these beacons, they call them, we can drive contact smartphone right whether it be video uh, pictures uh, anything text surveys or trivia questions anything anything you can link you essentially can drive there 
So uh, we got the app done up and we, get, we got some of the beacons and we went on kind of a little bit of road trip across the province to some of the arenas and some of the key spots. And just so when people go there, we're still in their face and then they get to do something kind of fun too, right? So we intend to use uh, that technology a lot in our new facility when we do it. And so essentially we can change it on the fly. You know, if we have events, we can use them there. And I'm not sure if that completely under explains what they are, but it's just they're kind of neat. Everyone, everyone knows what a what a QR code is now, right? But in order to use a QR code, you have to scan it. These are just kind of sensors that if you're in the area, they're going to work, right? So uh, we digitize everything. Like, as we said, you know, as far as digitizing our collection, we also digitize like all of our VHSs and our DVDs. And so we have a whole, a whole server full of information. And that's just as a way that we can kind of push it out to the public on what they have already. Right. So it's, yeah, it's, uh, we're looking forward to it. It's exciting. Yeah. That sounds really neat. And I didn't know, I thought it was like just at the museum, but if you're going throughout the whole province and putting these beacons in different places at different arenas or different um, parks or whatever, I think that's really neat where you can kind of go on your own adventure and figure out like, Oh, I didn't know that this event happened here. Maybe this guy was born in this spot and there's some information about him. So yeah, I think that's a really cool technology and that's been a kind of a fun part of this podcast too, is like figuring out the different pieces of technology because some of it is like really low end, like a football in and of itself is a piece of technology, but then you have like these Bluetooth beacons and some of the other like virtual reality things that museums are doing now. And a lot of that is really, really neat too. Yeah, it's about, you know, and if, you know, for us, for me, it's about, you know, if they bring a, you're bringing your family, it can be kind of an experience, right? Or, or I call it kind of, you know, geocaching for sports museums, right? You can, you can just, it's kind of, you're only limited by the imagination of the, what things that you can think of to use them mm-hmm. for. And uh, yeah, it's just kind of, a, I'm hoping the, this, the event side of things kind of neat too, because you could use them for like interactive <laughs> trivia questions and, and whatnot too, just by the, the attendees coming with their, with their phones with them. So I uh, hate talking about COVID. We're in the second full year of it, but I do want to bring it up because I know it really hit the Nova Scotia Sport Hall of Fame hard. And there was some impacts that you've alluded to already a little bit, but what has been kind of the impact of the museum space closing and then trying to shift stuff online and just kind of walk us through that process? Yeah. I mean, the, the whole COVID scenario for all not-for-profits or museums or sport hall of fames across North American. I'm pretty sure the entire world, yeah. I call it the, the, you know, the day that sports stopped, it was the day that <laughs> all of us were in trouble for, for a little while, but uh, right. yeah, we had to shut down our, uh, our facility part of it because of COVID and just part of it, we were going through lease negotiations at the time. That's kind of boring for everyone, but Long story short, we we had to leave, and uh, so we had to you know pack our pack our facility up just when things you know during COVID and it was, COVID was tough already. But then to kind of it's like um, I know people in the sport heritage industry, it's like their hall of fames are like their second home, right? So it was kind of like packing up packing up my family home to kind of and we didn't know what we were going to do next. Yeah. So you know, using the beacon technology was one thing that we thought of just to keep us in the public eye and just to, for from a staff perspective, at least it was something that was fun fun to do too. We did like some you know virtual education sessions with some of our Hall of Famers for the schools, and they went over extremely well. We had, you know, again we're a province of uh, of a million people. We have like I don't know four four hundred schools or whatever across the province. Like we had like hundreds of classes and thousands of kids tune in just to hear the stories of some of our great hall of famers, you know, during black history month and during the Olympics, I think was another one we did. And 
just just little things that we could do just to uh, keep the public active or engaged in us and and as a staff to kind of forget that we are homeless <laughs> for a bit. But we're we're, we're working towards uh, as we hopefully reach the end of restrictions and we all get to come together again. Um, we're working towards reopening a facility, and you know, as we all, everyone always says, we want to be bigger and better than we were before, and we just want we just want something nice that makes Nova Scotians proud. And when people come to visit us from outside of our province, from different kinds of the world, they can say, "Man, uh, they're 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 really punching above their weight here with sports, right?" Those kind of kind of what we're looking for. Yeah, I appreciate you talking about that, Shane. I think it. I'm sure it was very difficult because you, you're right. It's like a your workspace especially a hall of fame that you take care of the artifacts and have programs there. Like I'm sure it does become like a, another home and having to pack that up and leave. But then the shift to digital programs, I think a lot of that, it sounds like in a lot of places is going to continue even in a post COVID world, if we ever truly get to that space. And I think having kind of a hybrid programming model or like whatever that turns into in the future, I think will be useful because people are drawn to those zoomed calls or those um, just kind of virtual events with hall, hall of famers too so i think that's something that i've heard on the podcast talking to different folks is a lot of the virtual stuff may stay even when the in-person stuff returns fully so any thoughts on that or any plan i, I don't want you to divulge any secrets or whatever but there's no secrets but i mean honestly if you can if you can want to i'm one that i like to pull good things out of bad situations yeah. and i think the uh that we are forced to go virtual on things at least opened our everyone's mind to the opportunities that, that exist through that. Right. So, you know, not nothing, the same as, you know, we had someone driving around the province going to schools, but we could reach the schools from our, from my home, right. Using yeah. zoom and is the impact exactly the same? No, but you know, how long, how long does it take us to reach 3000 kids? Right. It's, you know, it, you know, 30 to a hundred at a time. It's a lot of presentations, right? So yeah, it worked out really well. And even with some of the national and international organizations that I'm associated with, just being able to, you know, to network and talk to people from all over the, you know, all over my country and all over North America or all over the world. And, you know, easily it's just, yeah, it, it's, it's, it's a good thing. It's a good thing. And I'm, I'm sure it's going to stay. For sure. I was going to ask this later on, but since you brought up that kind of collaboration within the sports heritage industry, that's been eye-opening for me too, is like, it's very kind of tight knit and you all are doing the same sort of things, whether it's a Canadian province hall of fame or the Babe Ruth museum, or like just kind of name a museum. There's, it's all kind of a similar mission to educate and to preserve these artifacts and all of that. So even before COVID, what was that kind of collaboration like? And then how has that kind of evolved as the pandemic has happened? You're absolutely right. It's a, we do kind of all have the same vision for things, whether you're, you know, a small provincial sport museum or a, the, you know, the Canadian sport hall of fame or, or, you know, the, you know, the Babe Ruth hall of fame. There's, there's just so many, the San Francisco 45, like just all those large organizations at the, at the end of the day, you're just, you're just telling the stories of your great yeah. sport heroes no matter what sport you're with. And when, when, when times are tough though, it's, you know, what, what do you do and who do you go to and to have the, that network of, of like-minded individuals that you can reach out to and say, you know, what are you guys doing? You know, or what ideas do you have for us? And that was, that's before COVID and during COVID and it's going to be after COVID because I'm always, a, I have the mindset is, you know, why reinvent the wheel if it already exists and there's nothing that hasn't been done already. 
because I mean, I know like your viewers who are interested in sport heritage or your listeners, they kind of understand that there's a lot of hall of fames out there. And obviously every time you you do a podcast, you're doing a different Mm -hmm. one and people's like, wow, I didn't know that exists, but there's so many hall of fames across the world in the world. And it's just, it's nice to have a a way to to network with them and just to to speak and talk and, and share ideas and, yeah, it's 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 uh it's a good thing. For sure. And I was never really exposed to that growing up. I was a huge sports fan and I went to museums, but you don't really think about the museum management or curation or programming stuff. But then when I was in college, I went to the um, International Sports Heritage Association conference, which happened to be in Wichita, where I went to school. And were you there at that? I don't know if we met there. Okay. Yeah, I was there. Yes. I, I thought so. Um so now Shane is also the executive administrator of ISHA, that organization too. So what has that role kind of entailed so far? And I know you're just named that position not that long ago. So what's that kind of adjustment been like in addition to your kind of main job? So it's been, it's been busy. I have to, I have to be honest. It's kind of a big learning curve taking the person that was there before was there for 16 years. So it's hard to replace that in a couple months. Right. But uh, yeah, the International Sport Heritage Associations, it's an, it's an amazing network of Hall of Fames from across all over the world. And uh, I, got a, so I got involved at the board level a few years ago because I was the, the, the president of the Canadian Association for Sport Heritage. And we, we collaborate a lot. One's called CASH and one we call ISHA, just easier than saying all those long words. But uh, I ended up on the board and I just so just to have a little museum for Nova Scotia. And then we have you know, the Green Bay Packers or the San Francisco 49ers or the Cincinnati Reds or the, the New England Patriots, the, you know, the World Golf Museum, USGA. It's just it just was it was endless. And I found it fascinating to be able to, you know, be on be on those calls and or go to the conferences and meet these people. And so I always kind of thought if, you know, if that ever came up, I wonder if, <laughs> wonder if there'd be any chance. So it did. And so, you know, Mike, Mike. My, my kids now are, I used to volunteer to coach all their sports teams and, and everything. So that used to take up an, an immense amount of my time, but they're all eight, they're 18 and 20 now. They only want my money. And so I don't need to do as much for them anymore. So when it came up, I talked to them and I had to go through the, the interview process, like every, everyone else and talk to my, my, you know, Nova Scotia sport hall of fame to see if they were okay with me, you know, trying to do this. And anyway, at the end of the day, they, they picked me and it's been a, it's been a great experience so far. And I'm just you know meeting new people every every day from all over all over the world get to talk talk to them and the idea that we're going to have an an, an in person conference in the uh, fall in Green Bay after we, everything we've gone through the last two years the idea of an in person conference at the Green Bay Packers stadium is pretty exciting yes I saw that in the uh, recent Isha email that I got as an emerging professional member and just kind of. It wasn't even a save the date. It was just like, oh, it's going to be in person here. And it was, um, I think, in the fall. So, yeah, it's going to be a fun time. I hope to come up for that. I would love to visit Green Bay for one thing, but also get to see folks again that I've talked to for the podcast and haven't gotten to meet in person or just kind of reconnect with people in the industry. And I think that, yeah, that's been a really cool part of my own journey is I've kind of figured out what I wanted to do with my life. And that conference that I went to was the really kind of catalyst for that and getting to talk to folks like you, who's like, this is your career and you've, you've done this all your life. I think that's something that I would be interested in for sure. So that's uh that's neat to hear and congrats on the new role. I think that's, it's exciting for you. 
Yeah, it is. It's it's a lot of fun, and and if uh, I know that you're you're looking at probably you like to get into the sport heritage industry as you as you move along, and it's a lot. Of, it's a lot of fun. I have to say, like I use the word multitask a lot when you, when you try to define what your job is, because at any point in time you could be doing whatever, right? One day you're meeting your corporate board members and you know trying to sell them on things to just you know to spend some money, and the next day you're you know sweeping the floor or cleaning up a mess. Like it's just it's it's uh it's a really it's fun. It's a fun industry. And I, that's what I like about it. It's, every day is different and you're doing all kinds of things and you meet such great people. And a lot of the people in the sport heritage industry stay. And that says a lot about, you know, in, in this day and age where people change jobs a lot, but you know, the people that have involved with sport heritage and the sport hall of fames across, especially in North America, that I know for sure they're, they're there for, for, for a long time. So that says a lot about those organizations and what, what it's like to be in that industry. That's a good point. I wanted to uh, wrap up here a little bit talking about kind of the uh, amount of different sports that are represented in the Nova Scotia Sport Hall of Fame, because I know winter sports are way more prominent in Canada due to the climate and due to this kind of culture there. But it sounds like there's a lot of different sports and different types of athletes represented, too. And I think what are your thoughts on that? Like, how, how does that help the Hall of Fame with all of these different um, types of sports instead of it just being focused on hockey or on baseball or something like that. So we do have a lot of people that come in and they'll reference us as the Nova Scotia hockey hall of fame, like just because, because the, the hockey hall of fame in Toronto is such a big deal and uh, hockey is always associated with anything Canada. Right. So, right. But yeah, no, we're a completely multi-sport organization. And I tell you, as far as uh, inductees, like again, soccer has been coming on strong um, the other one is everything to like water sports. So anything to do with paddling, okay, like canoe, kayak, canoeing, paddling. Um, Cause we're right. We have really good facilities for that. Even though the season's relatively short, uh, we've had amazing success out of some of the clubs that we have. And it's, uh, as far as Olympic athletes go and like the, the, the Karen Furnos of the world and the Steve Giles, you know, won an Olympic medal. And anyway, that's one of the ones that, uh, you might, you might not always think about it because you automatically think of Canada as the winter, right? But yeah. no, that the, the water sports have come on really strong. So, uh, but we, I mean, we have everything horse riding, like from a nomination selection and, and induction process, it becomes to be a, you know, the, the, the selection process is tough. Like we, any, from a small province, we, every year we have anywhere from 80 to a hundred eligible nominations, which is, yeah, I think that's pretty good for a, for a hall, which it's a public process too. Right. So that means the public is engaged in the hall of fame and they see value in nominating who they think they should be in. So uh, in my opinion, that's a good sign as far as, as what, what people think. I think it's important to uh, get people inducted in our hall. So it's great. For sure. Well, this has been an awesome conversation, Shane. Thank you so much for your time and just talking about the Hall of Fame role and then your role with Isha. And um, could you wrap up by talking about how people can find more information on those two groups? Yes. Yeah, so we're at the Nova Scotia Sport Hall of Fame is at uh, our website's nsshf.com. Most of our social media tags are at nsshf and our, uh, our mobile app. You can search it on either platform, Android or Apple at uh, Nova Scotia Sport Hall of Fame. And then uh, issues the International Sport Heritage Association. So, you know, search that, go to our website. Issue would be most of our, our social media platforms. And there's always lots of great posts on both. We're both very active on social media. So if you want to learn more about Nova Scotia Sport, you know, follow us there. And if you want to just know anything about the International Sport Heritage Association and some of the, the halls that are all over the world, like we have members in Sri Lanka, Australia, New Zealand, like it's, 
it's uh it's amazing and there's you know we have posts quite a bit from all of these different places so uh and again if anyone has any questions regarding either of the organizations feel free to reach out to me anytime just go to the Nova Scotia Sport Hall of Fame website or the issue website and you can find me. Sure. I will link to those groups, uh, web pages on the show notes for this episode. And um, I think people can definitely find out more information on those websites and social media pages if they so choose. But yeah, Shane, thank you so much for your time. This has been awesome. And I really appreciate your work at the Nova Scotia Sport Hall of Fame and with Isha. I think it's really important to preserve this history and then also kind of help lead and govern and provide resources for sports heritage organizations. So um, yeah, thank you so much for your time. Yeah, and Andrew, thank, I want to thank you for what you're doing and in, in, in your role in promoting sport heritage, because I don't see a lot of people doing uh, sport heritage podcasts right now. So you're a little bit of a pioneer right now. So I, you know, I commend you for what you're doing. Honestly, it's awesome. And I enjoy listening to the, every time you, you do one, I enjoy listening to it. I'm learning about uh, some of my fellow sport heritage people too. So it's great. Thank you, Shane. I appreciate that. Growing up in Missouri, as I did, hockey is not as prevalent as it is up in the other M.U.S. states of Michigan, Minnesota, and Massachusetts. Sure, I've been to some minor league hockey games and enjoy watching the NHL playoffs on TV, but that's about it. It really is a fun sport, though. Sidney Crosby has arguably been the best hockey player of my lifetime, and he's from Nova Scotia. Shane talked a bit about his local impact on the region, but I wanted to do a deep dive into the career of Sidney Crosby in this episode's overtime segment. Sidney Crosby was born August 7, 1987 in Halifax, Nova Scotia, and grew up in nearby Cole Harbor. Yes, Crosby's birthday is 8787. His jersey number is 87 for a reason. From a very young age, Crosby was a special player. He routinely played with other kids several years older than him. He played one season with a prestigious prep school in Minnesota before being drafted first overall in the Quebec Major Junior Hockey League. This would not be the first time he'd be selected first overall. After leading the QMJHL in scoring for two seasons, a 17-year-old Crosby was selected first in the NHL entry draft on July 30, 2005 by the Pittsburgh Penguins. With the 2004-05 season canceled due to a lockout, the NHL put all 30 teams into a weighted lottery. The Penguins, last in the standings in 2003-04, were one of four teams to have three balls in the lottery and got the number one overall pick. Crosby made his NHL debut on October 5, 2005 and had an assist. It was the start of one of the best careers in NHL history. Not only is Sid a great individual player, he helped turn around the entire Penguins franchise, who had had three straight losing seasons prior to his debut. Even though the Penguins finished below 500 in Crosby's rookie season, they haven't had a losing season since. The turnaround helped keep the Pens in Pittsburgh, too, with a new arena that opened in 2010. Along the way, the Penguins have won three Stanley Cup championships, 2009, 2016, and 2017. Another aspect of hockey I enjoy is international play. Crosby has represented his native Canada many times on the international stage. His gold medal winning overtime goal against the U.S. in the 2010 Olympics will live forever in Canadian Olympic lore. He captained the Canadian team to another gold medal in 2014. Sidney Crosby is one of 46 NHL players all-time with over 500 goals, plus he's added 878 assists as of March 19, 2022. His individual trophy case is quite full as well with two Conn Smythe trophies, playoff MVP awards, two Hart Memorial trophies, regular season MVP awards, two Art Ross trophies, the season scoring leader, and two Maurice Richard trophies, the season top goal scorer. Not to be outdone by those awards, in 2018, Sidney Crosby was named the greatest Nova Scotia athlete of all time by the Nova Scotia Sport Hall of Fame. What an honor for Sid the Kid. You can find the Nova Scotia Sport Hall of Fame online at nsshf.com. 
As Strand discussed, the Hall of Fame is actively working on a new and improved physical location. I'm excited to see the next iteration of their museum space. In the show notes, you can find links to the museum's website and social media pages, plus more info on Sidney Crosby's career. I appreciate Shane taking time to be a guest on the pod. Thanks for listening to episode 21 of Hallowed Ground, the Sports Museum podcast. Be sure to subscribe to Hallowed Ground on your podcast app of choice so you don't miss our next one. Also, leaving a five-star rating and review helps this podcast get exposure on those various apps. Thanks in advance. Until next time, sports fans.